everyone welcome back to another episode of midwest madness your true crime cult conspiracy encrypted podcast i'm emily and i'm danielle and it's sorry i just had to clear my throat you're fine um i don't think we have do we have anything to talk about this week Hmm, not that i'm aware of that cold case was solved in minnesota that was kind of cool but i feel like that's happening a lot lately which, which is, is good thank god yeah yeah be scared Where criminals um using dna to solve cold cases yeah and there was one not too far from our hometown Did you just get a text from mom too? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I got silent. We were both reading it. I was like, oh shit, Emily, just stop well, talking. I figured because like my wrist was buzzing yeah. and you started looking at your wrist. Yeah. So I figured it was maybe the same people. Yeah, it's mom. Okay. <laughs> it's odd. Do you want me to respond? She it's, wants to know if we want to do lunch. Yeah, it's weird. Okay. But you keep talking. I'll respond. You just tell her that um, I'm fine with that, but I... <laughs> look like a scrub hello we're doing this like on the podcast <laughs> welcome wow. to our lives you guys it's oh because dad's gone yeah um okay tell her yeah. i have a coupon <laughs> okay <laughs> five dollars off i said yes em says i look like a scrub but i have a coupon <laughs> okay um oops that's not what i wanted to do Okay, so welcome so, to a behind the scenes, you guys. Uh, it's my turn to tell the story. Yes. Um, and I'm t- going to be uh, telling a story that's located in Minnesota. Um, and it's sort of a more recent story. So, and I'm sure once I get into it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Um. Yeah, so today I'm going to be telling the story of Lois Reese, otherwise known as the Killer Grandma. Shut up, she's on my list. I was going to do her one day. Oh, really? Yeah, it's fine. I'm not mad about it. I love this story. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's kind of a a roller coaster, yes. and there's a lot of characters, so if you ever get confused at some point, please let me know, and I'll try to clarify. Okay. Um, I did my best. I mean, it's like... I think my story is like 12 pages. Oh my God. All right. I'm going to go to my... And I and that's like me trying to simplify it. I'm going to my podcast topics and I'm so, deleting her off my list. Um, what was her real name again? Lois. Lois. Okay. Um, okay. So our story starts out in March of 2018 in a tiny town called Blooming Prairie, Minnesota. Blooming Prairie is located in the southeastern part of the state in between Owatonna and Austin. It is, or it has a population of roughly 2,000 people. Um, and I mean, we say it how many times, but definitely that small town, Midwestern yeah. feel. Um, we don't lock our doors. No, super safe community. Everybody knows everybody. Um, yeah. I feel like we don't really understand that. I mean, to a point, kind of. Like, I never 
what you see your mom's text no i didn't she said well we can we can ask them to put us in a dark corner <laughs> she's so funny <laughs> oh my god uh, that's amazing um but like i've never felt scared no, in our hometown like the everybody knows everybody part. oh a little bit for that too though no, i don't think so at all because oh. you gotta think think how many people live in wyoming that's true it does feel like sometimes though that everybody knows who i am and be or like who someone in our family is i feel like these like small communities like blooming prairie there's like it's literally the town and then there's nothing Mm, yeah you know what i mean so you like kind of have to know everybody yeah like that's just like did it did you say how many people there were in the town it's a it was a little under two thousand. so i mean that's like the population of our high school by itself yeah like so i just feel like we don't really understand no i yeah i guess you're right i thought you meant more the like we don't lock our doors. It's a really safe community. Blah, blah, blah. Like um, I always make sure the doors are locked. Yeah, me too. But that's because we're true crime people. Really don't feel like Wyoming is like that safe. Well, now it's not that you just told everyone where our parents live. Oh, whoops. <laughs> I mean, that's where our parents live. That's not where we live. But um, Emily lives in. No, just kidding. <laughs> this is her address if you want to come say hi. Okay, on Friday, March 23rd, 2018, um, the Blooming Prairie Police Department got a call to do a welfare check on David Reese, um, and this was out of the norm, not really things they had to do, um, but David Reese and his wife Lois, whom he had been married to for 35 years, lived in a house on the outskirts of town. On the property was also David's business, uh, Prairie Wax Worm Farm, um, and they made uh, bait for fishing. Okay. Uh, David was known as a fun, loving, and caring man whose laugh you could recognize anywhere. He was a pillar in the community, and you couldn't find one person who ever had anything bad to say about him. Okay. Both David and Lois were born and raised in Rochester, Minnesota. The two met in high school where David was known as the class prankster. He <laughs> graduated in 1981 and enlisted in the Army, or sorry, the Navy. And this is when he married Lois. Okay. So how far do they live from Rochester now? Because I, f- I thought that the town they lived in was kind of by like St. Cloud. No, I just told you it's between Owatonna and Austin. Why, the southeast why would I corner think, of the yeah, state. but why would I feel like it's, no idea. Maybe I'm thinking of a different, no, there can't be two killer grandmas from no, Minnesota, can there? No, you're definitely not thinking of something different. Okay. No, you're right, because it literally said killer grandma Lois in my notes. David had three, uh, David and Lois had three kids together, and they moved to Blooming Prairie in 2005, and that's where David, or when David opened the business. Okay. When the kids grew up, they started having great kids of, or kids of their own. Lois was known to spoil them with lots of gifts. Um, Lois was a part of a bowling league in town and traveled all around the state to play in bowling tournaments with her friends. Stop it. The two lived a happy, normal life, and you would never have expected anything bad to happen. And I just wanted to, like, tell you all that just to kind of paint a picture of what the two of them were like. Yeah, very unassuming, your run-of-the-mill, like, nice couple. 
Right. Um, but now let's go back to March of 2018. So David's friends, family, and employees had not talked to or seen David for over two weeks. Which I point, assume is like really mm, unusual. Well, especially his employees. Oh, yeah. 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 Considering he lives on the property that oh, his business right. is on. That's right. Um, although they had been calling him nonstop, he would never actually answer the phone, but they would usually get a response back um, via text message. But the way that these text messages were typed did not seem to be the way that David would text. He was known to use run-on sentences and not use punctuation. Um, and in these text messages they were receiving back, um, they had punctuation in them. Isn't it interesting that even how people text can be very identifying? Yeah. Um, on top of this, David was supposed to be heading to a fishing tournament in Illinois on Tuesday, March 20th. Um, now, this in itself was not unusual for David as he frequently attended fishing tournaments in other states. But David was a man of routine, so for these tournaments, he would always drive his white es- Cadillac Escalade truck with his 20-foot-long boat attached to the back. Um, but on, So he was supposed to leave on Tuesday, but on Thursday, two days after David was supposed to have left for the fishing tournament, two employees at the Wax Worm Farms say they saw David, David's wife Lois pull out of the driveway in the white Cadillac Escalade. So, they kind of thought that was weird, too. Um, so, when police arrived to the house that Friday, um, three days, well, Tuesday to Friday, three days after, four days after, he was supposed to be at the fishing tournament. Um, the house was cold and dark. What? Um, well, you don't have to stop when I raise my hand. You can wait until you're ready for me to ask my question. Well, I'm, ready. I'm ready. Okay. Um, it wasn't Lois who called for the, the check or whatever, right? I can't remember what it's called. No. Okay. That's what I thought. Lois. It was like. Was gone. The coworkers and the uh, I believe it was his like business partner. Okay. Yeah. Um, no one answered the door when they knocked. So they decided to just walk around the perimeter of the house and see if they could see anything through any windows. Um, the, did notice that around the back of the house, a light looked to be on in a bathroom. So one of the officers hoisted himself up to see what he could see inside. And there laying on the floor, he spotted what looked like to be a body covered up by a blanket. At this point, the officers called up the Dodge County Sheriff's Department and they immediately sent out two deputies to the scene. When they entered the house, they found the body of David Reese. He had been shot twice, once in the chest and once in the back with a 22 handgun. Investigators believed that he had been dead around 10 days at this point because his body had begun to decompose and bloat. Now, obviously, the first question in the investigators' minds at this point was, where was Lois? Um, they knew they that she had been seen leaving the property that Thursday, so the day before, but they didn't know where she had gone from there. And at that point, if the decomp is that bad, you know she knows what's going on. You well, know? they didn't really... I don't think they assumed anything at this point. I think it was more just like they wanted to find her. It didn't really say that they thought of her as a person of interest 
I mean, at this very moment. Yeah, but you have to assume that they would think like, oh, she knows that he's dead because she was just here and it's been 10 days. Yeah, I guess they were probably thinking that. Um, But I don't know for sure. So I'm not going to say yes for sure. Yes. But I'm like, if I was in that situation, yeah, I'd probably be thinking she knows what's going on. Um, Employees told police that on Monday, March 12th, Lois came into the Waxworm workshop and she wasn't really acting herself. Um, She didn't greet the employees warmly like she normally would. She just walked in and announced that um, David wasn't feeling well and that she wasn't going to be in the office. She was going to be up at the house taking care of him. Um, The employees didn't see Lois for the next two days, but on Thursday, she came back down to the office and told employees David was still sick and she would be taking him to the hospital the next day, which was Friday. They could tell something was off, but none of them really knew what. Um, David did have a history of stomach problems, so if he was really ill, they didn't really want to bother him. Now that following Monday... Lois told the employees that David had been cleared by the doctors to head down to the season opener of the Cabela's Master Walleye Circuit Fishing Tournament on the Illinois River and that he would be leaving that following day to head down there. Okay, so the Thursday that you just said that she came back and was like, he's still sick, that was a week before she, she left. took off. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's what everyone at the Waxworm business assumed had happened. Um, that he had left that Tuesday to go to the fishing tournament until they saw Lois leave the property that Thursday in the car that David would have taken to the tournament. Okay. The next place we know that Lois turned up was at the Diamond Joe Casino right off of 35 at the Minnesota-Iowa border. She She bought a sandwich at a gas station nearby and asked the clerk if she wanted to head south, what would be the best way to do that? Um, and he told them, you know, just continue going south on 35. She said, thanks. That's a really stupid question. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Um, and then Lois left the store. That night, police found David's body. So that was uh, Friday. Okay. And then that Friday night, they found David's body. By the time they had tracked Lois's phone to the Diamond Joe, she was already long gone. And at this point, investigators had labeled Lois a person of interest, and that I didn't would say take long. Really, a manhunt was underway for her, but they were definitely there was a be on the lookout looking for her. <laughs> I loved the little hand motion Thanks. there. Um, the lead investigator in the case, Ben Bull, had discovered that Lois had stolen money from the business as well as from David himself. And he was able to secure a warrant for her for felony theft. So that way, if when they found her, they would be able to arrest her and hold her. Perfect. Even if it wasn't for murder. Okay. Um, but at this point, Lois was the only suspect in the death of her husband. Which is not surprising. Right. They knew that Lois liked to frequent casinos, and they assumed her to be armed and dangerous. Um, so that's I'm assuming they didn't find the gun, and that's why they... That David was killed with? Yeah. And that's why they assumed she was armed? Right. Okay. Um, And while investigating Lois in these early stages, they uncovered some pretty interesting things. The main thing being she was a compulsive gambler. She had gambled away $500,000 of inheritance from her father, as well as stolen money from the business and employees to feed her gambling addiction. 
You said 500,000, yeah. correct? Yep. Jesus, my brain can't even like comprehend that much money. I think I guess she had a nickname. It, oh god, I think it was like losing losing streak Lois or something. And that's like how, what she was known as at like the Diamond Joe Casino. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> um that's maybe a hint that you're uh, not a great gambler. Yeah. She liked the slots. Um ah. In 2010, Lois's sister Kim's marriage was failing and she had a mental breakdown. Lois and David let Kim move in with them to help her get back on her feet. In 2012, Lois applied to be Kim's legal guardian and conservator of her estate, claiming that Kim suffered from bipolar disorder, depression, and had the cognitive ability of a 10-year-old. In required annual filings, she also claimed Kim had Parkinson's and schizophrenia, as well as a bad shopping habit that caused her to spend lavishly. Because of this, Lois had access to Kim's $200,000 inheritance, which she had used to gamble, buy gifts for her kids and grandchildren, and among other things. In 2015, a social worker who was assigned to represent Kim saw what was happening and was able to get Lois's conservatorship discharged in October of 2015, but by that da- time, the damage had already been done, and she had spent over $100,000 in Kim's money. With all this information, Ben Bull, the investigator, had mm. to wonder, was the motive for murder her gambling addiction? And had David found out what was going on, that she was stealing money from the business and from him, and... um confronted her or whatever was at the breaking yeah. point that's kind of what they're thinking at this point so they're not they're assuming it wasn't like premeditated it was more like heat of the moment kind of situation no i don't know about that okay um that just feel to me that feels like uh we're fighting because i'm spending all this money or losing all this money and you're like i'm gonna get you for this or whatever and again i'm not going to speculate because i'm not i don't know for sure on that so makes a good story it sure does <laughs> but but yeah you're, he's just fair. think at this been thinking the motive for the murder was had to do with the gambling okay mm-hmm. it's just you you know you get charged differently for premeditated murder so uh, okay so now our story is going to take us out of minnesota down to fort myers beach florida In April of 2018, Pam Hutchinson had just arrived to spend a week there with her longtime friend Donna Fitro, whose husband had just recently died by suicide. Donna had planned to spread her husband's ashes in the ocean at Sanibel Island, and Pam wanted to be there for her. Pam checked into a condo at a timeshare she owned um, and was staying alone. Pam was 59 and had short blonde hair and a wide smile. She was from Virginia, but had been planning to buy a condo in Florida and move there. Um, And while she was there, I believe she found one that she had actually liked and was kind of starting that process. Um, The two friends' week started as normal. They had met for dinner and lunch regularly. Um, But on Wednesday, Pam turned down her friend Donna's offer for dinner in Sanibel and decided to have dinner with her new friend she had just met a middle-aged widow who was in Florida trying to start over in life. The two dined and drank for over three hours together that night before heading back to Pam's condo. On Thursday, April 5th, Pam was supposed to check out and head back to Virginia, but she decided to stay one more night 
again dining with her new friend at a popular tourist restaurant. The two are seen on camera spending a nice evening together before paying the bill and heading out. That same night, Donna sent Pam some messages from the beach where they had been spreading her husband's ashes, but she had gotten no reply. Pam's realtor for the condo in Florida that she was uh, planning to buy had also sent Pam some texts that night about filling out an application for the HOA, Um, but after 7 p.m., she stopped hearing from her. On Friday, April 6th, the manager of the place Pam was staying received a call from room 404 from a woman who said she had just met some people and that she had wanted to they wanted to take her boating throughout the weekend and asked her to extend her stay through Sunday. Um, the manager charged three more nights on the credit card on file, which was Pam's credit card. Um, and now I'm guessing me and you can both assume that we are no longer talking about Pam. Correct. But for the sake of the story, let's pretend we don't know that. <laughs> okay. And neither do the listeners. No, right. one, no one knows that. The same day, shortly after 11 a.m., a woman with blonde hair walked into a Wells Fargo in Fort Myers Beach and withdrew $5,000 from Pam's account. She made small talk with the teller talking about how she was purchasing a condo in the area. She then left the bank, got in Pam's white Acura, and started driving north. She drove 130 miles to Ocala and checked into a Hilton there. The next morning, the woman woman paid for the room and two room service charges with Pam's credit card and then stopped at three ATMs in the area, withdrawing $500 each, and then headed north again, eventually turning west, crossing into Louisiana. The woman stopped at a casino along the road and played some slots where she won $1,500 on a $5 play. When she went to collect her winnings, she used her state ID and social security card. Both of these belonged to none other than Lois Reese. What an idiot. So now we can assume that we're back. It. This is Lois. This is no longer Pam. And it never obviously. was Pam. No. Um... On Sunday, April 9th, back in Fort Myers Beach, the manager at the Marina Villages where Pam was staying was checking rooms for water damage because there had been a leak. Um, When she entered room 404, she smelled something foul and assumed it might have been um, the sewage, but she felt something was off about the room. So she went back into the hallway and asked two male guests to re-enter with her. In the bathroom, the group found a woman dead on the floor, and it was Pam Hutchinson. She had been found shot with a twenty-two bullet, and a pillow had been used as a silencer. Um, She was also covered with a towel. So that's our second body that's been covered by something found in a bathroom with gunshot wounds, right? With a twenty-two. Yes. Okay. The police in Fort Myers Beach started tracking the woman's credit card purchases. Sorry, that sounded weird. Um... (laughs) Starting with the one from the that restaurant the night of uh, Thursday, April 8th, then the Wells Fargo, then the Hilton and Ocala and the ATMs, um, and they started looking at security footage, and As they noticed, do. like, um, starting with the restaurant the night of Thursday, it was Pam and this blonde woman, and then starting Friday, the Wells Fargo, the Hilton, and the ATMs, it was all this blonde woman, not Pam. Okay. 
She looked to be around the same age as Pam, and she looked similar to her. So the police believe that the woman who killed Pam um, had done it to take over her identity. Yeah, makes sense. They watched the woman on the security cameras at the Marina Village where Pam was staring, staring, staying, walk into the hotel and approach Condo 404 with Pam that Thursday night. Then they see her leave the room for about 15 minutes, looking upset and crying, then walking back into the condo. The next morning, they watched her drive Pam's Acura and back it into a spot next to a white Cadillac Escalade, then watched her transfer luggage from the Cadillac to the Acura. They then watched the woman drive off in the Cadillac, return to the hotel, and leave again in the Acura. The night before Pam's body had been found, so Saturday night, a sergeant had come across an abandoned white Cadillac with Minnesota plates. Um, they ran the license plate, and it came back to David Reese of Blooming Prairie. And this is where a woman named Tess Coster comes in. Okay. Tess and her husband, Ron, had been residents of Blooming Prairie before buying multiple rental units in Fort Myers Beach that they would, you know, rent out to people. Yeah. Um, and in the past, in Blooming Prairie, they had invited people to come down to Fort Myers to visit them and stay at one of the rental properties. Um, a week before Pam was killed, Tess was at one of the rental properties cleaning it when all of a sudden she saw a woman with a baseball cap walking up the driveway. The woman didn't immediately see Tess, but when Tess asked, um, can I help you? And the woman looked up, she recognized her at Lois Reese. Lois looked surprised, like she didn't expect to see Tess there, and um, she quickly was like, oh, I'm sorry, wrong house, walked back to her white Escalade and drove away. Now, Tess had already known what had happened to David 10 days before in Minnesota. Yeah, because news like that travels fast. Yeah, so she immediately called 911, but police in Fort Myers believe that Lois had gotten spooked when she saw Tess and had left the area altogether. So they really didn't do anything with the tip. So what when in the world do you think she was doing there? I think she thought maybe it was empty and she could squat there. Oh. And she didn't expect Tess to be there cleaning it. That's okay. That's kind of my... That makes total sense, though. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, When Pam's body was found a week later, just three blocks from Tess's house, the police called her down to the station and asked her to take a look at the surveillance footage and see if she could identify the woman, which she obviously was able to do, and identified her as Lois Reese. At this point, police in Florida had put out a nationwide bolo for Lois and Ben back in Minnesota, sought and connected with them. They compared notes. Both victims had been shot with a twenty-two, then covered with something. They both went shot in a um, bathroom or killed in a bathroom. Um, and then both victims also had money and cars stolen. At this point, investigators... I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, yeah. right? Worked for previously. I guess. Um, at this point, investigators in Minnesota knew without a doubt Lois was in fact responsible for David's murder. I'm pretty sure they might have had an inkling before, but this kind of, you know, sealed the deal. Yeah. The U.S. Marshals stepped in and elevated the search for Lois to a major case, but the last clue they had was from a remote camera, which caught the Acura headed south of Houston, Texas, on April 8th um, at 11.16 p.m. This is when investigators became afraid that Lois maybe had gone south to Mexico, 
But Lois didn't have an active passport. So when they, this is when they became afraid that maybe she was going to find someone who to like, like her. her. Oh, okay. Who had a passport. Yeah. Kill again and assume the identity just like she had done with Pam. See, and I was thinking she'd get muled across. You know, no. like, yeah. oh, go across illegally. No. Um, this is when our story takes us to South Padre Island, Texas, um, which is a small island, uh, just 30 miles from the Mexico border. A woman named Donna checked into a Motel 6 and paid for a week up front. She began visiting the Padre Rita Grill regularly, making friends with locals and travelers alike. In South Padre, they didn't really pay much attention to national news, and this allowed Donna... Lois to hide in plain sight. <laughs> she seemed to like making friends with middle-aged women who are traveling alone and single. Because they're victims. Woman like 65-year-old Bernadette Matthias, who was sitting alone at the bar of Liam's Steakhouse and Oyster Bar, when Donna struck up a conversation. The two women talked for hours before exchanging numbers at the end of the night. Bernadette didn't have many friends outside of work and was excited about the prospect of making a new one. Oh. I know. The next evening, evening, the two women met again at Liam's for dinner. But after just two drinks, Bernadette became increasingly intoxicated. She thought maybe someone had slipped something in her drink. Um, and the next thing she knows, Donna slash Lois and her are back at her house and in the hot tub. Donna spent the night in the guest bedroom after noticing the house had a bunch of security cameras. Ooh, damn. The next morning, the two had breakfast and Bernadette dropped her back off at the Motel 6. Um, and the two made plans to meet like the next night again or something. Good job, Couple Bernadette. nights later, maybe. Donna had also befriended Peggy Houlihan and Isabel Barrio at the Motel 6 pool. The three got talking and getting to know each other. Um, Peggy felt something was off about the situation, though, pretty much from the beginning when Donna began pressuring Isabel to stay longer. Um, Peggy said that Isabel did end up staying an extra night, and she felt that Donna slash Lois had gotten, like, too close to her too quickly. Okay. Um, So she was just kind of, like, suspicious of how friendly she was being, almost. Yeah, and she just, like, was... Just had a bad feeling. Um, and she didn't know if her friend was okay, really, until the next morning. Um, Isabel was fine. She checked out and she left. So that was good. Okay, good. On April 19th, a week after Lois had come to South Padre, she went to Dirty Al's, a seafood restaurant, and asked the bartender to see a menu. It's a great name for a restaurant. Across the restaurant, a manager there, George Higginbotham, was watching the two talk, and he could have sworn he recognized the blonde woman from somewhere, and that's when he realized he had seen her on CBS this morning. Um, When the woman walked out of the restaurant, she ended up deciding not to eat there because she liked to eat at a bar, and they didn't have a bar. Okay. Um, The manager, George walked over to his employees and said that's the woman that killed that lady in florida but no one seemed to believe him so he asked someone to go see what car she was driving and they noticed it was a white sedan just like the one 
the killer was driving. So George immediately called the police. Good for George. The tip came in and the U.S. Marshals in South Padre were immediately notified. They arrived to Dirty Al's and talked to George. He gave them a description of what the woman was wearing and what, that she was driving a white sedan with Florida plates. Um, and the marshals were like, great, let's look for her. But they didn't need to look far because Lois had just literally gone to the restaurant next door. That's um, handy. The Sea Ranch. Um, and that's where they saw the white Acura parked outside. Lois was sitting at the corner spot of the bar. Um, once Marshalls had every exit of the restaurant covered, they walked into the restaurant and over to Lois. One of the Marshalls picked up her purse and said, Lois, we're going to take you out of here and explain what's going on. Don't make a scene. Lois complied with no emotion on her face. In the hotel room at the Motel 6, they found the murder weapon in both murders, as well as Pam Hutchinson's sunglasses wrapped in a towel. Which they thought maybe was like a trophy of some sort. Um, it took six weeks from the murder of David to Lois's arrest. Lois did plead guilty to both David and Pam's murders and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. She's currently serving that sentence in Shakopee, Minnesota. Can you imagine like one day your grandma is just all of a sudden a murderer i know i feel really bad for her kids and her grandkids and her grandkids yeah. in the story just yeah like literally out of the blue and i guess in the past it came out that she had some maybe some like mental health issues okay but still it's just seemingly kind of out of the blue yeah that's why i kind of think it was like a heat of the moment snapped thing with david i i don't think that's the case for pam pam at all no i, don't I think so that either. was premeditated 100 percent. yeah that was her playing the whole time yep and i think she would have done it again too oh i think so too if those cameras had not been in that house she i think she would have done it again i think so too i think bernadette would not be here Correct. oh and the thing too with bernadette is she didn't even know what had happened so she like showed up to meet her for dinner like they had planned and then she didn't show up like lois didn't show up she asked the bartender and she was like do you know like where donna is and he had to like tell her oh my god yeah isn't that crazy wouldn't that make you like poop your pants yeah You're like what the fuck like she was in my house but <laughs> we are alone and like i wanted to be friends with her and now how do i make friends <laughs> yeah and i don't know i mean i remember when this happened and just it was just such like a crazy ride ride yeah when it was going on like oh she's in florida oh she killed someone else oh now she's maybe she was in texas oh we don't know where she like yeah it was just so crazy and yeah i just remember seeing pictures of her and being like that lady yeah and it's also just very odd for a woman to not really but to, I feel like for it in to be way. like that big of a case, yeah. like it's usually not. not that big of a manhunt, like it's not in the press as much. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's my whole story. I know it was kind of like boop, 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 but like I said, it was 12 pages, so I didn't want this to be like eight and a half years long and I wanted to kind of just get through it. Yeah. But did it? Make it yeah sense. i was i never got lost okay, that's and 
So hopefully no one else got lost, but yeah, pretty crazy. Um, oh, my sources. Yes, please. Hold on. Magazine.activist.com, um, people.com, NBC2.com. That was it. Okay. I thought there was more than that, but I guess not. I liked it. It was good. Thanks. Yeah, it was on my list of ones to do, and I just kept not getting to it. And I'm kind of glad I didn't, because it was a good one to listen to. Um. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, like, if I'm being honest, I didn't even have a story picked yesterday. So I wanted to do one <laughs> that I knew had a lot of information. And yeah. And I knew could, I could, like, it would keep my interest. Yep. I get that. Um. And, yeah, so... I wasn't going to do this one. I was going to do a different Minnesota case, but mm. I just decided to do this one instead. So totally fair. Yeah. It was good. Thanks. Um, any, any questions, comments, concerns? Comment. I have uh, socials. Oh, um, we are Midwest Madness podcast group on Facebook. Um, MW Madness podcast on uh, Instagram. And that is also our Gmail Honestly, though, like, we've never, we've gotten, like, one email ever, maybe, maybe two. I feel like we've gotten more than that. It just doesn't feel like a lot, but you can definitely reach out to us on social media, too. That's totally fine, Um, especially on the Midwest Madness Instagram, because we can both see those. So that's nice, especially if you want to, like, send in requests for stories or whatever. And then I think our Twitter is, like, M midwest madness pod or mid mad pod or something like that we have 12 followers <laughs> we're killing it <laughs> well i mean we don't really use it all that often so. no i try but i just i forget so and i don't have twitter so um cool well that was my story we hope you guys have a great week and a good labor day And we will talk to you on Tuesday. Bye.